Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all here this morning. So thankful that you have decided to, to worship with us here at Pitts Baptist Church. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Today it's exciting also to, to be able to be a part of celebration of a life that has been changed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is being signified today by the obedience of these three people who are coming this morning to profess to you that their life has been changed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And as we, as we participate in the ordinance of baptism this morning, I invite you just to pray for these candidates and uh, as they continue their life and their journey with the Lord Jesus. And also do some reflection on your own. But we're thankful that you're here this morning. And we look forward to a great morning of worship together. So our, our first candidate this morning for baptism is Greg Gilliland. Uh, Greg came to faith in Christ when he was 13 years old. And I think it's just an awesome testimony. Uh, for Greg to come to you this morning and profess to you that, hey, I need to be obedient to the Lord's command to be baptized. And so we're just thankful for Greg and that testimony. And Greg, I'm going to ask you, do you know that the Lord Jesus, he is God and he's the Lord of your life? I do. Amen. Amen. Then upon the profession of your faith and in obedience to the Lord's commands, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother Greg, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death. Made to walk in the newness of the Christian life. That man's solid right there, I'll tell you that. <laughs> You're just flashed on. That's right. <laughs> I told Greg Lafferty, I didn't want to go swimming this morning, but I was really close right there. <laughs> oh, uh, Do we have any family members or friends of Greg this morning that are with us to worship with us? Would you please stand? Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> Next this morning, we have Meredith Stafford. Meredith, I didn't know that you suffered from vertigo. I'm just glad you made it down in the pool here. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. Last Easter, Meredith gave her heart and life to the Lord Jesus, and she's coming today also to make her profession public and being obedient to the Lord's commands to be baptized. Meredith, you know that Jesus is God, and before we go anywhere else, let's okay. do this right here. <laughs> yes. I had to we'll, have, we'll have those floating on top here. <laughs> But do you know that Jesus is God and he is the Lord of your life? I do. Amen. Amen. Well, then upon your profession of faith, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. We have friends and family of Meredith. Okay, right here on the front. Would you guys please stand? Awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And last, this morning we have Jim Shepard. 
secondaire. Jim was saved back in uh, 2013. And again, with this being 2022, just very thankful that he's being obedient to the Lord's command to be baptized. So, Jim, do you know that Jesus is God and he is the Lord of your life? I do. Amen. Amen. Then upon the profession of your faith, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother Jim, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death. And raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Amen. Amen. I know Lori, his wife, is up here taking pictures. But if you're a friend, a family of Jim, would you please stand that we might recognize you as well. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Well, thank you for coming and worshiping with us today. Let's continue in worship together. Amen. Would you stand as we sing and celebrate the promises that Jesus offers us? <clears throat> sing with me this morning. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail by the living word of God I shall Promises of God standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. promises of Christ the Lord, bound to Him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily by the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God, standing, I'm standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing. Spirit's call, 
started, won't it? <laughs> Glad to have you here this morning. We do want to welcome all of you to worship this morning. If you're a guest, uh, we ask you to please take one of the care cards that's located there in the pew rack uh, and fill out that care card with your information. Uh, and also on the back of the care card for everyone is a place to fill in any prayer requests. We as a staff want to know what's going on in your life and be praying for you. So take a moment to also fill that in. And uh, as you leave this morning, there are uh, two uh, wooden boxes on some black tables in our newly refurbished lobby. Anyway, it looks great. Thank you to those that uh, worked on that. But those boxes are out there and just drop those as you leave. But thank you again uh, for being with us today in worship. A couple of things I do want to mention. Uh, our Golf for Missions golf tournament to support our youth mission team to Alaska is on April 9th. And your registration to participate or sponsor a whole is due next Sunday. You'll see Kevin Knight. If you have any questions, just go by and ask him. He's normally back there after the service too, so if you'll see him, uh, he can take care of that. A couple of things are happening during the month of April. Uh, we are asking church and community group members to stop by the info desk in the worship center to update your information uh, for the church office and get your picture taken so that we can put together a church directory. We would love to be able to do that, whether it be digital or one we can print out uh, we're working on that, so if you can help us, be watching for that. That's throughout the month of April. And then also our annual food roundup uh, is to collect items for the Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina. Uh, a list of needed items and drop-off boxes will be located at the Worship Center and core information desk. So make yourself aware of those. If you can help with that, it would be great. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, so if you'll take just a moment, I want to ask all of us in here, to personally go to the Lord in prayer. So if you'd bow your head, and we're going to take just a, a moment uh, to pray silently where we are, and then I'm going to pray uh, out loud this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, we come to you this morning, and first of all, we ask that if there's anything in our lives that would hinder our worship of you today, that we would confess that even right now. God, that we would be right with you, and as we sing, as we give, as we listen to a message that you've given your servant, God, that our hearts would be open, that it be about you, and that we worship you, God. Sometimes when there's things in our lives that uh, are not, should not be there, it hinders us to really um, have that pure relationship with you. So I pray we would examine ourselves even this morning. And God, as we think about the things that are going on in the world right now, I know that there are people seated in this room who are maybe dealing with difficulties with family or personally. Maybe there's health issues. 
God, you know all of those. God, you know what is going around, on around in our world too. This whole situation in Ukraine, God, just God, you know uh, all the, the motivations, you know the attitudes, you know exactly what's going on there, God. And we pray that your will would be done. God, we know and even prayed recently that today we are one day closer to Jesus' return. And God, we look forward to that. And God, we know that there's a plan to bring that about. And God, that it's your plan. And we trust you. We'll lean on you. And God, we'll, uh, again, trust you to know that uh, you have all this in your control, God. We do pray for those that are dealing with uh, suffering over there, God. Be with them. Be with our brothers and sisters in Christ and our missionaries that are there. God, just watch over them. God, just be with this service in a special way today that it will be honoring and pleasing to you, God. Thank you for all you do for us, for these three that followed in obedience for Believer's Baptism and their, their families being with us today. Just help them have a great day today, too. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.
Amen. Would you stand as we continue in worship? We saw the expression of the gospel through the baptism. Let's sing that expression through the promises God has given us. Because we believe. I'll sing and you respond. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We are the church and we stand as one. We believe in the Holy Bible. We believe in the Virgin Mary. We believe in the resurrection. Christ one day will return to Glory, holy, holy. Well. 
God's people said, Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me, please, to uh, Genesis chapter 17 as we continue to walk through uh, the book of Genesis, those chapters having to do with the life of Abraham. Looking this morning at the subject matter, God of the Impossible. Uh, before we get into that, let me say how good it is to see these folks being baptized this morning. And, you know, it could be a little bit worse than just getting splashed, couldn't it? I remember, uh, I remember decades and decades ago in the church, David Fink telling me a story. Uh, the old baptismal in the old building... Uh, of course, the front of it, glass, so you could, uh, you could see the water level and so forth. And uh, there was a woman, senior woman in the congregation, uh, long since gone now. But uh, it was very evident to everybody that she wore a wig. And when she went down into the baptistry, David said you could hear a collective gasp in the congregation. And... Uh, the preacher took her back and brought her up this way, and her wig floated that way. 
Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Genesis 17, God of the impossible. I'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read the chapter in its entirety. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham... God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. 
Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Father, help us to understand this morning that as the New Testament says, the circumcision you look for today is that of the heart. Lord, as I speak to your people this morning, if there's even one who knows in his or her heart that they've not experienced that moment of regeneration, if they've never been changed to where even their fleshly life ends up different. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to Jesus today. And those of us whom you have changed, may we live it out every day. May we conduct ourselves, as the book of Hebrews says, of Abraham that he would he lived like someone who was looking for another city whose builder and maker is God. Open our hearts to understand your word. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Folks, who can argue or dispute the fact that we serve a God of wonders. You know, we look around us at creation itself and we see what a God of wonders we do indeed serve. Writing in the journal Nature, Benjamin Zuckerman, the emeritus professor of astronomy at the University of California at Los Angeles, says that one factor contributing to Earth's ability to sustain life is the size of the largest planet in our solar system, Jupiter. Jupiter, the the next neighbor to Earth after Mars, is a giant gaseous planet with a mass that is 318 times greater than that of the Earth. And therefore it has a much greater gravitational force to it. And it's that gravitational force, Zuckerman says, that benefits planet Earth. He says there are massive objects drifting through our uh, universe that could do great harm to our planet. And Jupiter acts as sort of a giant cosmic vacuum cleaner sucking comets and asteroids into itself or causing them to veer away from the earth. Without Jupiter, says Zuckerman, earth would be a sitting duck. Zuckerman says massive gaseous planets like Jupiter are very rare in the universe. Folks, we see God's design in creation, don't we? Having a planet like Jupiter nearby is is rare, he says, but certainly not a coincidence. We serve a God of wonders. We serve a God who does the impossible. 
I think of what the angel said to Mary when he appeared to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to a son and he's going to be the Messiah. And Mary said, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And you remember what the angel told her? He said, with God, all things are what? Possible. Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could even ask or think. Folks, we're going to see today that God is a God of wonders. God's word can be trusted and you can bank on that. God is more than able to do everything that he promises. Even if it doesn't seem likely to you and me. I want you to see first of all today God's promises to his children. And look back at at verses uh, 1 to 8 again. God's promises to his children. We see here in these verses that God is appearing once again to Abram. Now if you've not been paying attention to the timing of things in the life of Abraham. You might think that God was appearing to him time after time after time after time. I mean it might seem to you as you're reading through these chapters of Genesis that it's sort of like Abraham gets up every single morning and God has a conversation with him. And that's not the case at all. In reality there have been five divine communications over 25 years. God had instructed Abram to leave his father's land. He reiterated that call when Abram had stopped halfway in the land of Haran. When Abram arrived in the land of Canaan, God appeared to him and said, I'm going to give you and your descendants this land. And then after Abram defeated the kings from the east and rescued Lot, God appeared to him again and promised him a son. And now 13 years after the birth of Ishmael, God appears to him once again. So uh, again, we're tempted to think Abraham's life was crowded with revelations, but that's not the case at all. There were long periods of waiting in Abraham's life. In chapter 15, God had promised Abram a son. In chapter 16, we saw last week that when God didn't give Abram and Sarai a son right away, what did they do? They took matters into their own hands. Sarai gives Abram her maidservant and Abram had a son through her, Ishmael. Uh, And this was not God's plan. This was Abram and Sarai trying to get ahead of God and rush God and not wait on God. You know, we usually pay a huge price when we try to hurry God up and do things our way, don't we? I read about a, a naturalist who took a cocoon of an emperor moth and he kept that cocoon in his study for for months because he wanted to witness the day that that moth was emerging from its cocoon a large moth with just brilliantly colored wings The cocoon was flash-shaped and had a tiny opening at one end where the neck of the cocoon was. And this is where the moth would emerge. 
Now the great difference between the narrow opening and the gigantic size of the moth made the naturalist wonder how in the world it would even be possible for the moth to come out of this cocoon. But at last he saw, the day came when he saw the, the moth trying to struggle to get out. And he was watching in fascination and it was struggling and it was struggling and it was struggling. But you see this is necessary for that particular moth. Because the struggle pushes fluids out of its body and into those huge rainbow colored colorful brilliantly colored wings. If it doesn't go through that struggle that fluid doesn't get into those wings. And the naturalist not understanding that at this time he took his tiny little scissors and he began clipping away at the opening on, on the flash shaped uh, cocoon and the moth came out easily but those wings were still shriveled up they had not filled out with their fluid and shortly thereafter that moth died the naturalist had tried to hurry things along that can't be hurried. Folks, we can't hurry God along. As I said last week, somebody's wisely said, God is seldom early, but he is never late. And sometimes as we're waiting on God, we're tempted just like Abram and Sarai to try to hurry him along and rush things up. And it's always a mistake. Always. We see when we come to chapter 17 that Ishmael is now 13 years of age and no doubt Abram's affections are fully set on this child. And we're told that Abram in verse 1 there is 99 years old and now God appears to him again and as we read down through these first 8 verses we see some very astounding promises. How is it that Abram though can bank on all of this coming true? How can he be assured? How can he know? Folks, the lesson here is, is that the trustworthiness of God's promises is based upon who God is. Look at how God identifies himself to Abram. He identifies himself as El Shaddai. That's the first time in the Bible that this name of God is given. Literally it means I am the Lord God Almighty. It refers to God's omnipotence, his power, his sovereignty. It's the name by which the patriarchs came to know God. One commentator writes, it describes the God who makes things happen by means of his own majestic power and might. When God appeared later to Moses, he said, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, J Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai. It's the name for God that is used 31 times in the book of Job to encourage Job as Job is going through uh, all of his trials. God was saying to Abram, Abram, I'm able to fulfill the awesome hopes I've planted in your mind. 
you don't have to fear because of your age that I'm able to do this. You don't need to grow desperate again. You don't need to try to help me out again like you and Sarai did when Ishmael was born. Everything about your life, everything about your future will be wrapped up in this. It will be wrapped up in who I am and what I'm able to do in your life. I am El Shaddai. I am the Lord God Almighty. I remember reading some years ago some comments on this text by a gentleman that used to be a pastor out uh, on the West Coast and then the Midwest. And, and he was talking about how people in certain parts uh, of the country, old timers, I've never heard this saying before, but, but he said there used to be a saying of old timers, that's no hill for a stepper. And he said, what that means is if you have big feet, strong legs, you need to climb a mountain, you need to walk over a hill. Hey, if you got big feet and strong legs, that's no hill for a stepper. So all of these things that God is promising to Abram, no hill for a stepper, God is able to do it. He's El Shaddai, he's a God of wonders. Listen to these promises. God says, you will be a father of many nations. You will be exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will give you and your descendants this land. I will be your God and you will be my people. How can God make such awesome promises to Abram and then bring these promises to pass? It's because he's none other than El Shaddai. Kings did in fact come from Abraham. There was Saul, there was David, there was Solomon. Right on down the line we could go. Until finally we come to the one who's the king of kings and the lord of lords. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. I want you to understand a couple of things today. I'm just going to point out the first one right now. And I don't want you to miss this. All of God's promises to his children he will bring about because he's El Shaddai. He's the God who is able. You know, God promises to save you and me if we will come to him through Jesus Christ. And you may not understand how he was able to place all of the sin and guilt of the world on one man who died on the cross in your place and you may not understand how that redeems you and how your sin is forgiven through that but God's word says that your sins are forgiven through Christ that a heavenly exchange took place there on Calvary's mountain God did the impossible He died for your sins and my sins, past, present, and future. He redeemed us, reconciled us to himself. He's given us a future and an inheritance and a hope. God is able to do it. 
God is able to do it. He's the God who brings it to pass. You may not understand how as a Christian God will be a shield to you. A tower of strength and a refuge to you and a present help in time of trouble. But this is what he said he would do. He will do it. He's able. In Philippians 1.6 Paul says, He who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete it. There's so many promises in the word of God. About how he walks through life with us. He'll walk with you through your life. Believe it or not. He's able. He's El Shaddai. He can bring about that which he promises. It's not empty words. It's not empty promises. We serve a God who does what he says he'll do. But you know, I've got to warn you, this means that also he's going to discipline you as your heavenly father. You see, being a believer doesn't just mean you, you go out and, hey, i got all these promises from God. I can live any way I want to live and just kind of rest in the fact that, that I'm his. No, if you're his, the Bible says he's going to discipline you even as a father disciplines his own son. And sometimes that discipline hurts. It doesn't feel good. But it's for your good and my good in the long run. He makes us better. He matures us. He uses all of that discipline and all the circumstances of our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. And sometimes what he does in our life, it's, it's like a surgeon cutting with a knife. It hurts. But you know what? In the long run, it heals. This past week I was teaching on the 23rd Psalm at Taylor Glen, the service I do for them each week. And, and we're going through the Psalms and we've camped out spending a little extra time on the 23rd Psalm. And we were talking about this, God's discipline, how, you know, the psalmist said, King David says, uh, God has a, a rod and a staff. And I related to him how... As you read up on some of the ancient shepherds and how they tended to their flock, if they had one little lamb, uh, a young lamb that would stray all the time and get in trouble, that shepherd would be afraid of that little lamb straying and getting eaten by a wild beast or something or falling off a cliff. And so he would take his club and he would smack and break one of the legs of that little lamb. You say, how cruel. But he would set that leg. He would bandage it up. And he would carry that little lamb on his shoulders until that leg healed. And it said that once that leg healed and he was able to put that lamb down so that lamb could walk or run on its own. That little lamb would never leave the side of that shepherd again. He had developed such a strong bond with that shepherd who carried him. God disciplines his sheep for our good. And again, sometimes it's painful. But folks, we can know that God can be trusted in everything he has said. And he can do everything he has said he, he will do. Because his name is El Shaddai. 
the hills in your life, the mountains in your life, the trials in your life, that's no hill for a stepper. Second thing I want you to see this morning, when embraced and appropriated, God's promises to his children bring forth changes in them. I want you to read these verses with me again. Verses 4 and 5. He says there in verse 4. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. And then look down at uh, beginning in verse 9. Then God said to Abraham... As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. There's there's two changes that God brought about in Abram's life here. I want to focus on a minute. First of all, we see that God changed Abram's name. Abram's name meant exalted father or father of many. Now, don't you know that that name must have almost become an embarrassment to Abraham or to Abram at times? Because here he is in a culture where names really meant something. Today we name our kids just anything. First thing that pops into our mind or something has a nice ring to it. Or whatever the popular names happen to be at the time. That's what we name our sons and daughters. But back then names were much more important. Can you imagine Abram now dwelling in tents and as he was introduced to people... In the land, they'd say, what's your name? And he'd say, Abram. And they'd, res- they'd respond, oh, blessings on you, exalted father of many. How many sons do you have? I don't have any. I wonder how many times a scene like that transpired. Some people might have, who knows, they might have even started mocking him over his name. But now look at what God does. No longer will your name be Abraham, but Ab- uh, no, no longer will your name be Abram, but Abraham. Not just exalted father of many, as in many individuals, but father of many nations. Now the meaning in his name is intensified even further because a nation might be made up of millions and millions and millions of people. God says, now you're Abraham, the father of many nations. Not only will he be the father of the Jewish nation, but but the New Testament points out that all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, who come to faith in Jesus Christ, we become the sons and daughters of Abraham. If you're a child of God, you are also a child of Abraham. You're in his family. You're one of his descendants. Understand this truth today. When God works in us and gives promises to us, He changes us just like He changed Abram's name. He changes us. He he makes us better the way He wants us to be. Aren't you glad the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation? God changes us. He gives us a new identity. 
Just like he gave Abram a new identity, he gives us a new identity. And God sees us in a whole new light. He took our sin, he bore our sin, and he cast our sin away from us as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. In the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul says, we discover that we're heirs together with Christ. We're no longer aliens and removed from the promises of God, but we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2 says. And there's another change that God brought about. In Abram, not only a change in his name, but this time also a change in his flesh. Verses 9 to 14, God gave Abraham the sign of the covenant. He states it very clearly in verse 10, circumcision will be the sign of the covenant. And I want you to understand what's happening here. Previously, through his flesh, Abram had tried to force God's covenant when Sarai gave Hagar her maid to Abram and their thought was that maybe Sarai was the problem maybe Abram could have an heir a son through Hagar it was their substitute plan for God's plan and boy how we get in trouble when we come up with substitute plans for God's plan what a huge mistake it is for us. What a huge mistake it was for them. Now, stay with me for a moment, though, because here's what I want to point out. Where was their confidence? Their confidence was in the flesh. They thought Abram can raise up a son. If he just has Hagar, he can raise up a son. Circumcision would be a visual reminder to Abram for the rest of his life that God was cutting away at the very part of him where he had formally placed his confidence. His faith, his confidence was in his own reductive, uh, reproductive powers to bring about a son. And so God was killing off part of his flesh to show Abram that it's not through the power of the human flesh, but it is by God's promise that he'll have a son. As long as Abram lived and his descendants lived, circumcision would be a reminder, an ongoing illustration, this time in their own bodies. That when it comes to God's promises, we are to reckon the human flesh and human abilities as dead, and we are to trust the Word of God and the promises of God alone. Folks, we have nothing to contribute to bringing God's promises to pass. God is pointing out to Abram, this is his doing. It's not Abram's doing. It's not man's doing. And so with this sign, uh, the covenant and the, the sign in the flesh, there's no way they could ever get away from this reminder that God is giving them. And ladies, unless you think Sarai was left out, Sarai's name was also changed, and she would have a re, uh, she would have a 
a reminder or an illustration in her flesh too. She would carry a son in her very own womb. 90 years of age. Some of you ladies probably said, that that doesn't sound like fun to me. But what an awesome promise. Now, I I mentioned there are a couple of things I I want you to remember today. And and here's another one. Don't miss it. I want you to remember that you are to be different in Christ. There's a change in your flesh too. The circumcision of the heart. You're different in Christ. And you have a name, a given name. But as John says in 1 John, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And indeed we are, he says. You have a new name. In fact, the book of Revelation says that in heaven we're going to have a name that is only known by us in the Lord. You've got a new name. And you are to display a new character as well. You are not to be the same person that you've always been before coming to Christ. The Bible says that now that you're in Christ, this heavenly exchange has taken place and you've been reconciled to God and you're this new creation in Christ. You are to present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And you're not to conform to this world. And Peter says you're to gird up the loins of your mind. You're to be ready. Girding up the way they would gird up those robes and tuck it into their belt. Uh, A sign of being ready for action. We're to be holy. We're to be a sacrifice to the Lord. A living sacrifice every day. We're to gird up the loins of our mind. We're to be ready to live for Christ in this dark culture. We're to live differently than we were before. Because in Christ, we're salt and light. A change has happened. You see, it's a circumcision as well. Again, the the Bible in the New Testament describes it as a circumcision of the heart. Romans 2 says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men but from God. You see, folks, here's where the Jew messed up. They took circumcision to be a physical sign only. And because of that, by the first century, the rabbis held that all a man had to do in order to go to heaven was to be circumcised in his flesh. They missed the point. They turned it into a ritual. But it was to be a sign of a spiritual commitment. That they were putting their confidence in God and not in the flesh. Let me say to you that we can criticize the Jew for how they messed up the significance here. The significance of circumcision. But you know in many ways don't we do the very same type thing? 
There's religious observances we carry out today. And, and by the way, they, they mean a lot. They mean a lot. But if we're putting confidence in these things to make us right with God, we're doing no more than the Jew was by putting all of his confidence in physical circumcision. We've enjoyed a, a, a glorious baptismal service today at, at the beginning of the service. And that's important to be baptized. We're told that's the first step of obedience that a new follower of Christ is to do. Because baptism is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And our union with Him. That in Christ we've died and be, we're being raised to walk in newness of life. It's important. It's the gospel that is seen. But there are some people today who put all their confidence in it. And, and you ask them if they've been saved. Oh yeah, I was, I was baptized. But have you been saved? Have you been regenerated? Have you been born again? I've been baptized. I've baptized when I was seven years old or baptized as an infant. I've been baptized. And they put all their confidence in, in the ordinance itself rather than in what it stands for. There's people likewise think church membership will save them. Or who think their denomination will save them. And again, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. But if we place our confidence in them instead of in Christ, we're no different than those in the Bible who felt that by simply being circumcised, they would be saved. You've probably heard the name George Whitfield, One of the great evangelists in American history. Traveled to this continent. Early on was used mightily of God in one of the great awakenings. In one of George Whitfield's sermons, he tells of a dream he had where an angel transported him to the gates of hell. And when he arrived, he cried out to the gatekeeper, Have you any Methodist in hell? Oh yeah, we got plenty of those down here. Have you any Lutherans in hell? Oh yeah, plenty of them too. Presbyterians, Catholics, Baptists. Oh yeah, bunches of them. And he said in his dream, suddenly he found himself transported to the gates of heaven. And he asked Peter, I don't know why we always say, you know, Peter stand at the gates. But anyway, he asked Peter, have you any Methodist in heaven? No, no Methodist here. Lutherans, Presbyterians, Catholics, Baptists. No. Finally, in desperation, Whitfield cried out, Who then do you have in heaven? And the answer came back, Christians, only Christians here. You see, no human work, no denomination, nothing of the flesh can save you. And so again, let me remind you what the Old Testament sign of the covenant, which was circumcision, pointed to. And what does this Old Testament symbol say to us? We are to put to death the flesh. We are to have no confidence in our flesh. We are to crucify the flesh. We have nothing in and of itself, in our flesh to make us right with God. We are spiritually bankrupt before holy God. 
And if it were not for what God did for us in Christ, we'd all be in deep, deep trouble. We are to look to Christ crucified on the cross, buried, raised again from the dead. Look to Him and Him alone for salvation. And His word to us, if we will do that, He will save us. You will never put your faith in Christ and be redeemed by Him and be disappointed. He does what He says He will do. Would you bow with me please this morning? Every head bowed and every eye closed. And as your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Let let me talk to you just a, a moment before we pray. I want you to understand today that God makes promises to his children. And he's able to bring those promises to pass. He's El Shaddai. Do you need counsel or peace today? He's the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor. Do you need strength? He's a strong tower. Do you need a friend? He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Are you anxious today? He says, in everything make your request made known to him. Do you need direction? The Bible says he'll lead his sheep in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You can trust him. He's El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. He's able to do it. He is able to do what seems like the impossible. Rest in Him and His provision today. If you've been made new in Christ, let Him change you the way He wants. Submit to Him. His desire is to conform you to the image of Christ. A new character, a new lifestyle, a new conduct. You know, in the Bible, sometimes it amazed people how God had changed somebody. I think of the disciples at Damascus. They didn't want to fellowship with Paul at first, remember? And only when they had heard that Paul was now one of them would they even fellowship with him. And they saw the change in his life. Submit every room of your heart to Christ that he might conform you to the image of Christ if you've never turned your life over to Christ do so today whatever you're trusting in other than him it cannot save it cannot deliver but he can look to him Father, we thank you that you're a God of wonders and a God who's able to do what he says he will do. 
Lord, you change us. In Christ, we have a new name. And you change our character. You change our flesh. We're circumcised in the heart. Lord, help us to live as your people ought to live. Help us to be a living testimony day by day of where our confidence is now. It's not in the world, not in human works, not in any religious ritual that we could do, but it's in Christ. And it may be that somebody needs to come forward today saying, Pastor, I need Christ. God, may your Holy Spirit draw them to yourself today. And as believers, help us to understand that you're more than able to do anything you tell us in your word that you're going to do for your people. Even if it takes us getting to heaven to see it, you are going to do everything that you have said you would do. We can trust you with every avenue of our lives. Help us to do so. Open our eyes to see you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray.